0: Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 104. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always my colleague from Petentanpuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: How has it been going, Fuleman?
1: It has been the same old, same old, frankly. One of these days I'm going to do something exciting in quarantine, but like pretty much the number one event of my week was last night uh, my fiancé and I made like a ridiculous quantity of garlic bread.
0: Oh, that's that's a great activity, though. Like that. It was great, yeah. And we ate you. it all,
1: and I'm fat now, but very <laughs> pleased. So, <Yeah. laughs> make, making
0: garlic bread's uh, a lot of fun mm-hmm. because it precedes eating garlic bread, mm-hmm. which is really the pinnacle of mankind.
1: Yeah, I mean that's like one of the highest ways to obtain carbohydrates. And but the other thing is that like it's not hard. So <laughs> yes, yes, it's surprisingly you know. very easy. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, that was like the excitement of my week. It's like small pleasures, but what else can you do in this time? How about you?
0: Yeah, pr- pretty much the same. I um, I I gave a virtual seminar on some of my research, which was fun. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I mean it was it was to my my colleagues in the stats department at U of T, which which is nice. They they all you know nodded politely and pretended to understand, which is <laughs> basically all you can ask for.
1: Yeah, it's the dream.
0: Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we we both had very exciting weeks, it seems. Um, Also having an exciting week, the NHL, because they've had some bad ideas.
1: Yes, imagine that. You know, we're just so used to it being a parade of genius suggestions coming out of the NHL's head office. But we're here again!
0: So, here's um, what we're referring to is what Mark Spector referred to as kind of the most popular playoff format idea that the nhl has if they can't finish the regular season and realistically as we covered i think last week it doesn't really seem to make sense to um finish the regular season at least with the playoff format as is because there are many teams that are essentially eliminated already and you're risking danger to them and their families for you know essentially meaningless hockey games mm-hmm. so anyways um i'll just read kind of verbatim from the specter article and we'll we'll see uh we'll evaluate it after assuming no regular season games get played the most popular playoff scenario is the following the top six teams from each division meet in one city they would open with a best of three series between the number one and two seeds to decide a division winner while number three meets six and four meets five for the right to keep playing under this scenario the only current seventh place team that may feel left out is new york rangers they're one point behind the sixth place islanders in the metro division but the rangers have played uh, two more games There are no teams that could say the number six seed had the advantage of playing more games than them and that they were unfairly treated. I will quibble with that last paragraph, um, but first blush at this idea, there's just too many damn teams.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we just talked about why they're incentivized to bring back more teams to the playoffs. Because they want to play games, get some kind of revenue, they want the teams to have something to come back for. They've decided they don't want to go directly into the playoffs if they can avoid it, which, as we've said, maybe they won't be able to in the end. But they've convinced themselves that it's more worthwhile to just blow up the format and welcome pretty much everybody who was within spitting distance, except the New York Rangers, of a playoff spot to come back and compete for one. It makes the whole regular season kind of meaningless.
0: Yes, so to take, you know, an example that's close to home, the Leafs would have to face the Sabres in a best-of-three series to determine who moves on. Um, If the Sabres won three straight games against the Leafs, they would still be eight points behind us.
1: Yeah, it's kind of dumb. And like, by any normal standard, the Sabres were eliminated a while back. Not mathematically, but for practical purposes. And so, yeah, this just feels kind of junky to be honest. Now, granted, I'm sure that if you are, you know, a fan of Buffalo or Montreal or a team in that tier, as we have recently been, you'd be over the moon. But for the rest of the teams, it's sort of like... Like, did the whole regular season only serve to eliminate, like, five or six teams that were tanking? And then a couple of others? Like, it just makes the whole thing feel very pointless. Not to mention... Hockey is such, like, a high-variance game, and so much of it is going to come down to who comes out of the blocks the fastest. If you get back here and you have a best of three, there's an excellent chance for some of those to go into upsets, and you get a pretty good team getting knocked out by a team that finished 15 points behind them or whatever.
0: Yeah, so. it's it, it just, it's a very, like, I get why this system is in place, and it's probably because they want as many games as, as reasonable. -hmm. Right. But it's. I I have a hard time with hockey doing this, especially because in the best of times, you know, we have trouble saying, yeah, the team that won the Stanley Cup is the best team. Right. They're not necessarily. They're the team that won the Stanley Cup. And, you know, that's different and it's valuable and obviously the most valuable thing in hockey. But we want them to have some relation to one another.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I'd say generally they do. Yeah. But when you start kind of opening the doors to a lot of other teams uh, who have the chance to play spoiler, it becomes more and more random. And Mm -hmm. for me personally as a fan, I don't want to see bad teams with a chance to to win. And I guess the common argument is, well, you know, they're bad teams, they probably won't win, and that's true. And if you get beat by a bad team, you should feel bad, and that's also true. But the reality is, like, we're essentially just making the regular season completely worthless. Mm Mm-hmm. And it already is, but this makes it even worse.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. And so there are a lot of incentives for the league to do things now where they're scrambling for revenue. You know, this is a bit of a frightening, obviously, a frightening turn of events for them economically, in addition to all the other ways this pandemic is scary, because revenues are taking a huge hit. They have feeder leagues like the AHL and the ECHL, which are not viable, really without gate revenue they don't know how long it's going to be until they can welcome fans back in person so the major source of revenue right now is tv showings of nhl games and so there's a huge incentive there because they have to pull some money in some way uh to keep functioning but in doing that i think this system really It rewards bad teams to an extent that's kind of preposterous. You know, like, I I, I hate to kick it, say, Anaheim or something, but, like, Anaheim was a bottom five team in the standings, and by this measure, they're sixth in the Pacific. So, there you go. That seems kind of silly.
0: It it really, really does. It's, I don't know, I... I struggle to think what the sporting reason is behind this, aside from just kind of being revenue-seeking, right? Which is obviously is not a sporting reason. But, like, from a from a hockey perspective, this is like, oh, yeah, we, you know, Arizona deserves a chance to prove themselves. Anaheim deserves a chance to prove themselves. Buffalo, man, how how can we crown the NHL champion if Buffalo doesn't have the shot? That will be a <laughs> re- question that stands the test of time. Y- yeah, Tampa Bay, you know, swept through the league, but they didn't have to face Buffalo.
1: Oh, you know... What if, you know, what if. Two sadder words. But, uh, yeah, so this whole thing seems kind of janky. I'm hoping they don't go with it. I know we're very much in the brainstorming stage. The league is already apparently trying to push for an early June draft, which is interesting. They have a number of reasons for wanting to do that. But it's been reported that the idea of bumping the draft up is not actually popular with the teams generally. It's the league office, which is trying to push uh, the owners into accepting it.
0: I suppose because there's a lot of legwork that has to be done for the draft and they haven't had the chance to do it. um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd be assuming, I've seen some people say, including Scott Waiter, for example, say that it's unfair to the teams and players, and I don't quite understand how, but I haven't read into it to see how that would be the case. So it could be. And assume, but assuming it's not you know unfair to the players, the the draftees, I would be fine with a June draft.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's moving it up by like three weeks from what it was. The biggest question is, how does it jibe with the selection order? Because often that sort of reverse of finish.
0: Right, but I mean you can just do it based on the regular season. I think. Um, yeah,
1: except- and that wouldn't be.
0: <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be too bad. The the so there's a couple things I found interesting. I remember seeing the snippet of an article where one team source said, "Oh, I wouldn't like that because how we finish in the playoffs determines a lot about our draft." And it's like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Couple things. <laughs> First of all, unless you're picking an absolute superstar, the t- player you pick this year probably isn't on your team at all next
0: year. And if you're picking an absolute superstar, you're not in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. So that's the end of that. And then you have this whole kind of craziness where it's like your playoff team is present tense trying to contend, presumably. The kid you draft in like the mid-second round is going to make your team in what, three, four years if you're lucky? Half the guys will be gone anyway. So yeah, the inability to understand the time spans involved there is kind of crazy it's it, it, it especially you know you shouldn't make
0: decisions based on, on playoff series that much anyways right it's a tiny sample we, we saw famously the summer of uh well was it 2013 when, when the leafs did that yep yep All Right. it's a good way to hit
1: the self-destruct button it really is
0: it. um so yeah i thought that was quite hilarious um the other thing worth discussing probably is the plans for the nhl lottery which Apparently, they are essentially steepening the odds. They're making it so that mediocre-slash-bad teams have lower probability um, chances to jump into the higher ends of the lottery than the truly awful teams. Which, again, doesn't really make sense to me. Um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, but if you're saying there's more uncertainty in which teams are bad, that should necessitate flattening the odds, Mm -hmm. not steepening them. Um, But... I don't know, I guess it's very rich as a Leafs fan to say this, but it was something I, I, I thought before, we should stop rewarding bad teams.
1: I still think that, uh, I mean, first of all, with this, you sort of get where they're coming from, because especially if you expand the playoff format or whatever, yeah, it, you if don't it, want to have a team win the draft lottery and then go make the playoffs, uh, or at least you don't want that if you're any of the teams that finished worse than them, so... Yeah, apparently Detroit does not love the idea of the advanced draft or any of these things. And so the fact that Detroit under this system would apparently be guaranteed the first or second pick, so Lafreniere or Byfield probably, that's almost like kind of buying their acquiescence, it seems like. Like, this is definitely designed to keep the garbage teams happy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean... I don't know if I've talked about this before, but there's a plan called gold drafting. Uh, and I believe it originated in the NBA. We've talked about But the idea is after you either declare that you're giving up on the playoffs or you're mathematically eliminated, then you start a counter going, in terms of getting the most points after that time. And so the idea is... The teams who are the worst will get eliminated the fastest or give up the fastest. And then they have an advantage that way, but they're still encouraged to win. Because it's based on how many points do you get after that elimination takes place. And so if you're Detroit, you would already be racking up points because you've been eliminated forever. And other teams would be later coming to the table as they gave up. So Detroit would still have an advantage, but still be encouraged to win. Anyway, I've always thought that that, and there are some little details to tweak it, but that's the basic form. That yeah. seems to be like the kind of thing that you go for if you really don't like incentivizing losing. This kind of weighting the lottery odds back and forth, it's like, well, you're still, if you're a bad team, you should still logically try to get worse in this system. You know? Like, it's a fractured chance at the best prospects, but you should still want to finish lower to get the best chance. hmm So... Yeah, I think if the NHL really cares about the incentive issue here, they have to reject the whole process. But until then, I kind of
0: right. And I know. I get why you have a draft in the first place. I I, I know it's a popular or somewhat popular in, in niche circles to like say, oh, abolish the draft, just have them, you know, sign contracts with uh with teams directly, like just ELCs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's appealing for Toronto especially. because we would get a lot of people, but I I understand why that's not the case because Columbus is fucked in that case, right? And it's... People often say, it's like, oh, you know, you're so constrained by the cap, right? So you still have have issues with that. Toronto just couldn't sign every great high-end prospect. But if you're also enforcing that they're ELCs... Well, most teams will have the cap room for that, right? And certainly for the big player, for a McDavid-level prospect or a Lafreniere-level um, prospect. You know, okay, goodbye, Travis Dermott, if we have to. Goodbye, Johnson. Janssen. Like, fuck it, you know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Boy, do I have some offers to make. Yeah. yeah. And, and the reality is, as much as these things would be fun for us, they don't tend to work out that way uh, in terms of how any, the league ever wants to operate, or any league does. Like, if you propose this, like how many teams would be against it? Like 28. So, you know, I don't think there's any real chance of that coming to pass.
0: And, and the but. thing is, in <laughs> hockey, your, your spots aren't blocked the same way. Like maybe in basketball, it'd be actually, not, even not in basketball, it'd be stupid. But like, you know, it, because the Leafs have Taveras uh, and Matthews, that doesn't mean someone like Quinton It's like, oh man, I, I won't be able to succeed there. Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm blocked. It's like no, you know we can we can move someone to the wing. It's easy enough. We can figure it out. Like it's not hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's less of a, a roster logjam issue, and I'm I'm told that in NBA drafting, especially after you know the first big picks, there's a lot more accounting for position in your organization when you do draft.
0: Yes um, and no. Extent. I mean, it, after after like the eighth pick in the NBA you're basically just hope realistically the best you can hope for is like a rotation player. Right. And then, you know, if they get anything above that, it's like a huge draft hit. Right. Yeah. I'm exaggerating true. a bit. Like you, you can, you certainly hope to get a rotation player, you know, within the first, you know, 12, 13 picks. And then a, ideally a starter would be even better, but it, the odds are not high after the mm. first few, you are really getting into, you know, this guy actually has never played basketball before, but he's six, seven and really athletic.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fair right?
0: right. Um, because like kind of the physical requirements for the NBA are so high. Height is such a self-selector and so is athleticism. Um but yeah, like it, it's it 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 would be it's maybe a little more workable in the NBA because of the roster spot issue, but even then like they have problems with uh stars colluding to get to the same spots. That would ma- be made even worse if they got rid of a draft. Mhm. Um And it would certainly not work in the NHL.
1: Yeah. And and I'll say this, you know, the NHL has a whole thing about how, and every sport does, including basketball, but if you don't win a championship, you're kind of viewed as second-rate and crap, to be honest. I think that there would be, especially as you controlled Price more, there would be a lot of sort of collusion and legacy-seeking in terms of, like, you would get teams trying to reassemble... In a few key locations, like there would be teams that would be left out in the cold. Is the bottom line here, mm-hmm. you know? And so, out of respect for the Ottawa Senators, we can't do that. And so, yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. we we joke, but that's that's how you turn the NHL into like a you know a twelve team league, effectively. Yeah, right. which um, you know
1: wouldn't be as great for a lot of fans. Yeah, so, so
0: I I get why they want yeah. to kind of help the little sisters of the poor, to some extent. Yeah. I I don't think it's unreasonable for, for for them to want that.
1: Yeah. And so, to be honest, now, granted, we're mostly out of the lottery anyway, so we don't have much incentive to care, but, like, this is fine to me. It's a bit silly, but, like, I don't...
0: I don't love it, but to yeah. me, it's more just the... The NHL doesn't seem to understand how odds work anyways. Like, it took the Oilers no. winning three out of four or whatever? Or was it three in
1: a row? Mm-hmm. Four and six, I it was think. Four
0: and six. okay, yeah, just include all the four and six lotteries for them for the NHL to be like, hey, we don't want this to happen. It's like, well, this even if they didn't win, this could have happened. This is just the what happens when you have a consistently bad team.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. It's 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 like you know flipping heads six times in a row. It's like it's not likely, but you know, one out of sixty four.
1: Yeah. So that's how it goes. Yeah, and you know what? It was it was three in a row, and then two off, and then fourth so four and six over in a row take your pick but uh, yeah so that's kind of a fascinating survey I'm hoping that the playoff format is less stupid than that that's my main takeaway there
0: yeah and I, I know this would never happen but I'm actually I'd be more okay with them saying we're only taking the top two from each division than what they've actually proposed
1: yeah which yeah as you said they their incentives are all the other way mm-hmm. but uh, yeah you know what there would be a certain fairness in that at least. Because you would only get really good teams. Um, but, you know, they're not going to knock out Sid Crosby, which that would also do. So <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very, very good point. Fine, uh, fine. Top three teams <laughs> in each division. Pull my arm.
1: I know. It, I, we just can't leave the Leafs out. It just wouldn't be right. And so that just seems like an ethical necessity. So, yeah, we'll see how that develops Obviously, you know, there are logistical issues that we're not really touching on in terms of putting six teams in one safe location. And, you know, the kind of health bubble that they're going to devise, the capacity of players to see their families, all that sort of stuff. That is going to also play a big role in whatever eventually gets decided. And we're still very much TBD on that. The NHL sounds like they're really going to take a run at this. And you'd expect that they would. But it really sounds like they're going to give it a try, you know. I, I think that they've concluded that they just really need the money.
0: And also, for, y- we saw how you know. huge the N- the NFL draft was.
1: Yes, right. As yeah, you're, you're the only only thing
0: on TV, and mm-hmm. if you're the NHL, it's like well, ESPN's going to fucking have to cover us if we're the only goddamn sport.
1: <laughs> that's like ninety percent of it there.
0: <clears throat> and, and also, I mean. It's worth pointing, if you're the NHL, like this is a very big opportunity because playoff hockey is dope.
1: It is, yes, and you'd love to sell it. And you're, you may be e- even thinking, you know, if you have this kind of sloppy offense-first hockey that we were talking about last podcast, yeah, you know, that might be a good way to make some friends or make some new fans, you know, when people get to come in and maybe see a 5-4 barn burner or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's... Know playoff hockey because it has such a palpable intensity and maybe that will be diminished somewhat in a, a fanless arena. Yeah. But you can but... you can still very much see and feel it. And it's mm-hmm. it's quite captivating r- r- relative to regular season hockey. Like there's a very noticeable difference I find.
1: You ju- you just feel like a level of tension that is hard to compare. Uh, you know, it's just like the the intensity really is something else. Also, it's going to be interesting, and they have talked about this. If you have live cameras in an empty arena, there's not a lot to muffle whatever the players might be saying. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever played hockey alongside hockey players, the average number of swear words per sentence is like three and a half. So... I don't know what they're going to do when you know you get Morgan Riley and, uh, let's say, Brad Marchand going into the corner and telling each other to fuck each other sideways or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, that was an aside. There are going to be a lot of issues with trying to put up a playoff, but it, it does sound more like the NHL is going to make an attempt. So
0: Yep. So hopefully it's not a pants-on-head stupid idea.
1: <laughs> but, you know.
0: It's the NHL, 50-50. Yep. Yeah. All right, so the other thing we want to talk about is, I guess, so, so you proposed this, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I guess the best way I could summarize it is, is there a way the Leafs could trade Mitch Marner without it being colossally stupid?
1: Yeah. Is that a fair
0: way to put yeah, it? Yeah,
1: that's, you know, I, I did a written nail bag actually on the site for the first time in a while. And this was partly impo- inspired by this question from says and does stuff on Twitter it says list the defensemen. You would 100% swap one for one with Marner. And I said, okay, i have to look at that. And I assumed it was after this season is officially concluded, whatever happens. And based on contracts there. And I came up with nine names. They were Victor Hedman, Quinn Hughes, Kael McCarr, Aaron Ekblad, Colton Pareko, Charlie McAvoy, Miro Heiskanen, and Thomas Shabbat. And, And I said, if Dougie Hamilton can be extended on us acquiring him, he joins the list. And it got me thinking, it's like, okay, when we look at players like Marner or Matthews or even Nylander or whoever, we kind of think, okay, those guys don't get traded, not at this age. They usually don't, you know, thinking of uh, Tyler Sagan or Taylor Hall as like examples of forwards of that youth and caliber. But it's pretty rare. And so it was probably worth discussing, we thought, under what parameters do you approach the idea of a Mitch Marner trade? Like, you know, the saying is you always listen to offers as a GM. Okay, what does that look like? Like, what are you thinking of? might be enough to blow your socks off. You have to be real careful training Mitch Marner, and the odds are it's really, really unlikely to happen because, as Arvin alluded to at the start of the segment, a lot of the outcomes here are very, very stupid for the Leafs. When we were talking about, you know, theories of team building a couple weeks back, we talked about big talent and little talent. Big talent is the talent that you hold on to. If you at all can, you have to be really, really sure that it's either good or inevitable before you let that go. Mitch Marner is a big talent. He's a bit overpaid, but nonetheless, he is a player of a really, really rare caliber. And if you're going to trade him, you have to be really sure you know what you're doing. Right. There's quite a few
0: considerations to make here. Um, I think, in large part, it's popular to want to trade Marner, or at least to be open to the idea of trading Marner on some segments at least Twitter, partially because, as you said, he is a very good player. He is overpaid. Um, of the big four, now he is, in a certain segment of the fan base, the only one that's movable. is too value to, valuable to be moved. Matthews is too good to be moved. Tavares cannot be moved. Mm-hmm. Um Marner is very, very good, but probably not so good that he's completely untouchable to a lot of people, and the contract doesn't help. The problem is trading Marner because he made you feel bad that your team lost a negotiation is is not a good team-building strategy. Mm -hmm. right? You have to evaluate the deal on its merits, and I think the reality is you're not going to get what what you would want for, for someone of Marner's caliber, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, his contract is super onerous, not just in terms of cap hit, but in terms of dollars. You're immediately striking off, you know, a handful of teams that just cannot pay, te- uh, you know, huge amounts of money. $10 million every July 1st in in, in uh, s- signing
1: bonuses, yeah, right? That's worth that noting matters. that, yeah, that, that, like, the amount of salary in his contract every single year is the minimum. Like, next year, which is, like, one of the most extreme— his signing bonuses are fourteen point three million, and his base salary is seven hundred grand. Yeah. Like that's a huge lift. And his signing bonuses over the course of
0: his that, contract are sixty one million dollars.
1: Yeah, now, and those don't get caught back him, with escrow. No, I mean, or, actually, you know what? I'm not sure about the resolution process. There, it's actually interesting. Uh, okay, those may or may not be. No, they'll be product. subject to escrow. But like, what they do is they can't be bought out. Um, in the event that it comes Wait, to Wait, but, uh, okay, I remember he,
0: reading that the the clawback with S... Like, in terms of the amount of money that is withheld from each check, that, mm-hmm. that applies to salary, not to signing bonuses. Signing bonuses are, like, what you see is what you get, I thought. Anyways, it doesn't matter. He's getting a shit ton of money from signing bonuses. Yeah.
1: And so the bottom line there is, you know, it's very hard to do that. If you're not a team with a ton of cash on hand, which even putting aside the global pandemic is kind of an issue. Uh, and you know, it's not going to get any easier to write that huge check. MLSE might be one of the few entities in the league that can still do that quite comfortably. Now, when you sort of incorporate that, you have to think, okay, how much is it worth that you're freeing up in some of these trades? Some significant amount of money. Y- you know, if you trade him even for, say, Victor Hedman, the Leafs clear about $3 million against the cap. That's not nothing. That, like, genuinely matters. That probably means something like you get to keep Andreas Janssen instead of, you know, an entry-level player or something like that. By
0: the way, I wouldn't make that trade if I was the Leafs.
1: Uh, For Marner, for Hedman? Yeah. Based on age, there's an argument that it's a mistake.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the big thing for me. Like I And Hedman's one of those guys where my eye test always disagrees with the stats, because my eye test is like, God, what a fucking player this guy is. Mm-hmm. And then you look at, you know, for example, Isolated XG, which we talked about last week, and he, he looks, especially the last few years, mm-hmm.
1: eh. Eh. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. Um, so it's like, okay, I don't know how much to believe there. And, again, part of his value is he's, he's obviously very, very good on the power play. Mm-hmm. Right? But the Leafs don't have a need for that. So I, I, I wouldn't trade Martner for Hedman, personally.
1: Okay, so, I mean, there's even another name to knock off the list. And, you know, the ones that I mentioned that are, like, what, what appear to be superstar defensemen of the future, I can't imagine that, you know, Vancouver or Colorado or Dallas have any eagerness whatsoever to give up those kind of players
0: no because because they're you know they're cheap that's the thing like they're yeah. very very good and they're also cheap and and marner is very good but he is by no means cheap so i feel like a one-for-one one thing with with marner it's not going to happen because anyone who is good enough to be traded for marner one for one and has a worse contract than him we're not going to want if mm-hmm. they have a better contract for him than him a clearly better contract than him then the other team's not going to want to trade for him
1: Yeah, there's a problem with alignment there in terms of one-for-one trades. Like, you know, the famous Hall for Larson, one-for-one. Well, that worked because it was super lopsided and one party was really silly. But generally speaking, there's going to be a really tough time finding any kind of fit here. And again, Marner is so good, I really feel like you have to get back a clear, no-questions-asked, High-end talent. You need like I don't want to even be asking the question as to how good I think the the best player I'm getting back is, because any trade where you do that, you've lost. And so, even like listing those defensemen, it's it's a list that skews young. They're all guys I would say are first pair, no question. But there's even a larger question of how much defensemen really impact the game compared to forwards. Which is a different thing. You know, there are some arguments in the stats world that forwards are just generally the most impactful players. And then there are some arguments the other way saying, well, we're just better at measuring what forwards do. But, I mean, it's something that would give me pause if I've got a great play-driving defenseman, even like Miro Heiskanen, who looks like very solid defensively, Am I confident that that impact measures up to Martyr being a 90-point playmaker? I don't know. And so, there are so many things that hang over this. And then you get into, okay, one for one is kind of an awkward trick to get begin with. But what about for some kind of package deal? Well, you end up, like, trading a loony for, you know, six dimes really, really quickly, you know. If the best piece coming back your way is not at all in Mitch Marner's class, you have to do so well on the package of assets that's coming back that it's kind of extraordinary. Yeah, you and I were talking about Columbus before we came on.
0: Yes, and Columbus just stuck out, to, st- stuck out, stood out <laughs> to me um, as a team where I can see them wanting to go big game hunting for a star player. They they are too good to tank. They're not going to have. A high draft pick, uh, probably in the next year or two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess if their goaltending collapsed, they could, but they, they seem to have stumbled onto a couple good goalies, and the rest of their team is is decent enough, actually. Yeah, but they're also not a market uh, that can really attract stars in free agency, right? Stars very rarely, you know, change teams, and one of the two that did change teams recently left Columbus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they could be a team that okay. You know, they say they want to find a a star or superstar forward. That's how they acquire that type of player. Um, so, are they a potential fit for Marner? Well, I suppose if if they think they can, if they are sure that he's you know the guy, typically Columbus has traded for cheaper um, players who have kind of turned into very good stars. But whatever, like they they had that failed Jeff Carter thing. They uh, traded for Saad, then traded Saad for Panarin, which was kind of a, a real paperclip uh, type of <laughs> transaction. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a possibility there. But you look at that team, it's like, okay, well, what do you get back? If they're trading for a star, what they want to do realistically, like the theory of why they're doing this, is they want to reallocate a bit from depth to high-end talent,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So you can probably take Warensky off the board,
1: And I would suspect Seth Jones.
0: And certainly Seth Jones. And then, I mean, Seth Jones and Renski are both players who I'm not actually sure how good they are.
1: And that's the other problem. I didn't include Seth Jones on that list, even though some people might have, just because his stat profile is enough that I'm not totally sure. And as soon as you're not totally sure the guy you're getting back is a star, you can't do a one-for-one.
0: And as you alluded to with defensemen, there's a lot of those guys who are like,
1: and I don't know. And it's possible we look
0: a year from now and we see Hughes, McCarr, and Heiskanen. And yeah. we're like, oh, yeah, I don't I don't know, actually.
1: Yeah, and that's even with... Like, Quinn Hughes impresses me in a way that very, very few young defensemen ever have. But, you know, <laughs> who knows? And there's a lot of wide openings there. Conversely, you know, one of them could turn into a, a really great player, and Rasmus Dalian, we've talked about him before. He's got the talent kind of join at that level but that sort of leads itself to the issue where it's like let's say that the untouchables for Columbus are Pierre-Luc Dubois, Wierenski and Seth Jones just for argument's sake well then where's the trade you know like you're either doing this on the Leafs end just to clear cap space which I think is a big mistake or there's not like a lot there and so or you have to be yeah. really
0: certain about kind of some guys who are viewed as mid-tier guys who you think are better. So Oliver Bjorkstrand's a very popular nerd hockey Twitter um, fan. He's very good. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I saw him was uh, I think, I think I, it was Nylander's first season on the Marlies, so that would have been f- fourteen, fifteen, right? Was it fifteen, sixteen?
1: Uh, I believe it was fifteen, sixteen, and then Neilander came up towards the end of that year.
0: No, but that was his second year on the Mar. Like he came over halfway through, his draft plus one. It was fourteen, fifteen. No,
1: oh, okay. Well, then you got it.
0: I think. Anyways, the Martys played, um, the what are what what are they called? The Lake Erie Monsters or whatever. Um, Columbus's AHL team. And I remember Bjorkstrand was just destroying things. He was so good in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that series, And I was like, oh, wow, this guy seems quite good. Uh, and that was the first time I heard of him. And then he's, you know, gone to the NHL since, and he's been a very productive player in the NHL, uh, both in mm-hmm. good play driving and point scoring in, in kind of more limited uh, minutes. So maybe you can say, okay, yeah, Bjorkstrand is a guy who can be elevated. He's a right winger as well. Um, okay, that's one guy. You're not training Mitch Marner just for Oliver Bjorkstrand, though. No. Right? So, like, who else, right? And you, you want a roster player because at least are trying to contend. So who else do you talk yourself into? Ryan Murray, maybe he's another left defenseman. Probably not a yeah, great with fit. with that, David with Savard. A brutal injury history,
1: and you know, and Savard, I'm like, I'm not sure he's that much better than like a, a mid-tier guy. Mm-hmm. he's got one year left, and he's 29.
0: Yeah, so you know, you quickly run into, oh, am I going to get enough here? And you can you know say, oh, well, they'll throw in some draft picks the other way, and that will help for sure. But then there's a reasonable chance you take a step back in year one of that trade, and year two.
1: Yeah, which, when you're a team that has, you know, gone heavy into your core assets, that's really tough to accept. And, you know, more prosaically, if you're Kyle Dubas, that may be fatal to your job. You know, like, you may not come out of the other side of that still running the team. And so, yeah, I, I mean, it gets really difficult to, to find a fit there. When these players move, it's you know, partly because they're blocked where they are, or their team has totally lost patience with them and is willing to sell at a loss, basically. Mitch Marner is still too clearly a star for me to see us giving him up in any of the trades that I could see actually happening. You know what I mean? Like, the Leafs are aiming for the top, have major financial commitments, are trying to win now, and all of that adds up to, yeah, there are trades that I would take for him, but they're not trades that the other party would do.
0: Right. And Actually, this is kind of worth bringing up because um, I actually saw on Twitter this morning uh, a tweet from from Jeff Veyette, uh, you know Leafs' mm. Twitter personality uh, from the face-off circle and previously from basically every other Leafs blog, um, where he responded to a, a tweet that said, Marner for Byfield, Quentin Byfield, um, who mm. says no. And Veyette says, I would probably make this trade. And I don't know enough about Byfield um to know confidently you know about him uh, besides the fact that he's a very highly touted young prospect and i don't think it's unreasonable to say oh yeah i would make that trade but the team in who wins second overall in the lottery probably does not make that trade
1: yeah well let's assume it's the ottawa senators mm-hmm. who you know are right now poised to pick around that spot first of all they're the ottawa senators so the signing bonus issue we just discussed is huge Um, But second of all, you know, Byfield is going to be going on to an ELC. If he doesn't make the league next year, you've got, you know, three years after that where he's on a minimum salary and then he's cost controlled. Because Mitch Marner is now committed to with a huge salary proportionate to what he makes. You get team control with him, but you don't really get a huge discount until the league's you know, cap can start going up again, and who knows when that's going to be. You know, like the the financial end of it gets so lopsided, which is why you know none of those ELC players I mentioned before are likely to move. You know, I, I also think that there's a question if you're the Leafs, uh, which is, is Byfield going to be good enough soon enough that we're okay doing this? And again. I feel obligated to point out Mitch Marner seems like a hell of a player, you know, as good as Byfield might well be. And he looks like a terrific prospect, but it's like one of the best outcomes from the number two slot in the draft is actually just being close to as good as Mitch Marner. You know, like it's not guaranteed that you get that player from that spot. So... Yeah, like, I actually think, you know, my personal answer to the Who says no on that trade is both of them. hmm So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just it's so the, tough to find a fit here.
0: Yeah, the moral of the story is, is trading, trading a star for a non-stupid reason is quite difficult.
1: Yeah, and this is why, you know, you listen on everybody, among other reasons, because it's possible someone's going to get stupid um, about the other side of the transaction. So you keep your ears open, but there's a reason that this doesn't tend to happen, especially to teams that are not currently run by Peter Chiarelli. You know, it can happen, but it's probably a mistake. And and again, I think, you know, people look at the cap hit and they think, okay, it, you know, there are trades I can imagine where we free up $4 million and, you know, still get something back. And it's like, that's true, but you really have to consider what you're going to be doing with that $4 million that's so spectacular. And I'm genuinely not convinced that there's a great answer there. So, you know, I, I wish Mitch Marner made less money. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but I'm just saying he's a player of such a caliber that it's very hard to win a trade where you give him up.
0: Yeah, and for what it's worth, the reporting we have about the Leafs is, and this is from Chris Johnson, who is I think as close to not a mouthpiece for Dubas, but, like, as close to kind of representing what Dubas is thinking
1: mm-hmm. as
0: as anyone out there. He said that, you know, the, the Leafs absolutely love Marner as a player, right? And that, mm-hmm. that's why they they went kind of above and beyond to retain him, right? Because they, mm-hmm. they think he is, like, truly, truly brilliant. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think... I think that's not likely to result in the Leafs trading him. And I guess it's always tempting to look at the Stars when you have a somewhat disappointing team, as the Leafs have been this year, um, you know, for various reasons. But when you look at the performance of the Stars, they've all been pretty solid, like I, I ranging from, you know, as we covered last week, possibly a top five player in the world in Austin Matthews to maybe a little bit below expectations, but still good for Tavares and Marner. Mm hmm right so you know they've they've been very very good and the problem has really been injuries goaltending and depth
1: yeah and you can say look uh, your depth is directly impacted by the salaries that you're paying at the high end and you would have more money for it if you flipped marner for someone making you know 7 million and that's all true but i really think you have to keep in mind the excess value that elite players tend to provide And as flawed as this team is, I think that that kind of blow it up maneuver is a really good way to make your team worse. So, yeah, just, you know, this is a long walk around the idea where it's like I can imagine trades that I would make giving up Mitch Marner. But I wouldn't bet on any of them being accepted. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Okay, um, there was some other stuff we wanted to talk about, right?
1: Yeah, there was uh, just sort of a little thing we were talking about, aging curves. Just because I think it's a bit of a topic of conversation lately. You've probably noticed this if you've been watching a while. But back in my day, there used to be plenty of hockey players over the age of 35 on teams. You know, or at least well into their 30s. That sort of older august class in the NHL is really fading. There are fewer and fewer older players now in the NHL. As, you know, the game has gotten faster. And this has coincided with a recognition in stats that the peak for players is probably earlier than it conventionally was thought to be. You know, once upon a time the thinking was usually that hockey players peaked between like maybe 27 and 30. And now we have some evidence that forwards peak around age 24. So there's already been a bit of a movement in the league towards younger players, uh, faster players, and to stream out older players. Partly encouraged by contracts because younger players on ELCs are generally better cost-controlled. But there's some even more out there stuff where people were talking on Hockey Nerd Twitter about the idea that, basically, aging curves are all decline. Like that players come in quite young and are the best that they ever are and then decline over time. And the idea would be here that, you know, when you are 21 even, or 20, or even a teenager conceivably, you are actually as good as you're ever gonna be because you're near the peak of your youth and fitness. And the implication here is that teams are too slow to promote these players. And actually they're giving up on some value there by not playing players younger. I don't have a conclusion there. Other than to note that there are a lot of clouding factors. Because if you do a, a look at teenagers in the NHL. Especially teenagers who played, like let's say, at least 10 games in a year. Well, there aren't that many of them. And they're pretty much all first-round superstars. So, like, that might tell you something about those young players. Right.
0: Like, the 18-year-olds the playing in the league are Austin Matthews. They're not Andreas Janssens.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even then, as we've seen with Jack Hughes and Capo Kako, it's really hard to play in the NHL at age 18. You can be really good and still struggle because it's... The most competitive league in the world and so you have a real issue with survivorship or you know who enters the sample because a lot of players aren't breaking in until they're 22, 23, 24 and they're coming in at a pretty high level which they then descend from so there's an issue there when you're saying should teams be quicker to kind of move on from older players and to turn over to younger players and I think a lot of stats people say yes they think that coaches are kind of old sticks in the mud but I am a little more skeptical of that to be honest right it, like I I find myself thinking I'm not sure I trust it yeah
0: it also gets into a question about how well we're isolating for usage right younger players are mm-hmm. often more sheltered um and you know there's always been convincing research that that doesn't matter as much as you think it does but Does it matter enough that it changes the peak a little bit? I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm... I think it's generally fair to say that maybe the peak is younger than... Certainly younger than we originally thought, right? People thought used to think a player peaked at, like, 29 or something. Mm -hmm. And I think the most convincing research I've seen has been that a player is roughly around the same level from, like... 23 to 28 and then they start dropping off a bit right w- when people say that a player's peak is at 24 i think that often mistakes things as well because sure their peak might be 24 but if they're within 95 percent of what they were at 24 until they're 37 then that's I- irrelevant almost right mm-hmm. um from what we've seen in the nhl players tend to be pretty good uh even until their late 20s and then that's when the drop-off starts occurring Right, the, the issue when you sign free agent contracts to 28, 29-year-olds really isn't the first couple years. It's the last couple.
1: Yeah, unless it's David Clarkson, as we all famously remember. But yeah, yeah, if you get them when they're good coming in, you'll get value on the front end. And it's always acknowledged on some level that you're paying for it on the back end. But it's just, are you making intelligent bets in terms of are you getting enough at the front end for it to be worthwhile? to accept the eventual decline. And John Tavares is the great example of that. He's not going to be as good at the end of this contract as he was at the beginning. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to look at this stuff and just to think about, you know, the issues we have in finding out how good are they really. I do think, and this is, you know, a personal belief that has probably gotten me on the wrong side of the Mike Babcock wars, but I generally think that if coaches are not trusting certain players, they may be kind of a lagging indicator. Like they may be too slow to be convinced that this young guy is good. But I don't think that coaches as a group do things without reason. And I think that if there were a real surge of really, really good young players, we would start to see that. And we, you know, we are seeing it to some extent. But I still find myself a little bit skeptical that the actual peak for most players is around 18, 19, 20. I just feel like that there's more growth there, um, probably into the early 20s, and that we're having trouble straining it out.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree.
1: So, yeah, just something to sort of think about that we saw floating around on uh, Nerd Twitter.
0: (laughs) Yep. Um, Okay, so I think that's about it for us. I didn't have anything else that I wanted to discuss. Did you? Nope. Perfect. So, um, thank you everyone for listening. You can find all of my Defaultedman stuff at PassionPlanetHopets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFaultedman. We'll see you again next week.